Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's Dr. Sophie to our weekly podcast. Hope these things are helping you out as much as they're helping all of us out. Talking about things that are relevant, helping us grow together as a community, raise healthy children, and be just really good people. Last week, our podcast was about burning out. We learned the six indicators of... Well, am I actually burning out? The red flags to look for and how you're really going to know if you're really burning out because some people are clueless, believe it or not. We also discussed how best to assess what is burnout, how did it come about, what are we doing, and how are we living with it, and why are we living with it. We also talked about the ways to uh, recover from it and the things to do about fixing it and addressing it because, believe it or not, you have to redo it. You have to reboot yourself rebuild yourself because if you burn out and whether you know it or not you're hitting a wall and you're not going to go anywhere so self-awareness and tools to make it better is the key so all of that and many of the other podcasts you can find on my website on iTunes my free downloaded app on the phone help yourself to it it's all free but whatever it is take that information and use it right back into me call in email, voicemail, whatever it is, I'm happy to answer your questions, but we want you to get the most out of these podcasts. This week, we are talking about a very interesting topic that many people, in you, when you think about it, you would say, hey, you know, that makes sense. But there's a lot of people who don't really get it all the time either. And that is the meaning of a pet in your life. And is it a good mental health tool to cope and help through tough times and, you know, just have a relationship with? Or is that relationship sometimes a relationship that takes you away from having to deal with human behavior and the feelings that come from that. And it's easier to be with a animal maybe that doesn't give you the pushback that a human does or doesn't push you to the limits that you need to be And Is that a good or bad thing? So we're talking about the positives of pets today. And is it really good for our health, our mental health? And what is the role of those little puppy doggies and cats and animals and fishies and turtles and all that stuff? And what do they actually do to us? Do they do something chemically in our brain that helps us? Or is it just really something that we see and it's a good kind of thing to have in our life, but we really don't know what it's doing? We're going to talk about all of that today. We have some great in-studio guests. We have Meg and we have Lindsay, who both own a really great company. They'll tell you all about it. And then on the phone joining us is Stanley Corn. He's a PhD and he is a doggy psychologist sort of but he's way past that in all of his other credentials he is best known to the public for his books on dogs but he's an award-winning behavioral researcher fellow of the royal society of canada and he was named one of the 2000 outstanding scientists of the 20th century so we got some big guns here i want to introduce and hear from lindsay and meg a little bit about who they are what they do and what they've created, which is really a very interesting thing, and I have partaken in that as well because my dogs are much happier now that they've met you guys. Welcome. Thank you. What do you guys do? Tell us. So we own a company called Pure Dog Food. Um, it's based in L.A. It's a local homemade dog food delivery service. Oh, now uh, people are going to be like, are you kidding me? L.A., homemade dog food I delivered. I know. I know. It seems Ooh. silly, but we really, really worked hard to develop a product for people that are looking for real food for their dogs. And we wanted to make it as easy as possible, but we really worked hard on developing the formulas and working with the vet nutritionist and balancing them and providing um, just the best food possible for dogs and making it easy for uh, people to provide that. So we deliver it to you weekly and you order it online 
currently um, we're only in LA, but we're working really hard to uh, spread the word and um, get this food to as many people as possible. Now you're telling me this is like real people food? Yes, it's all fit for human consumption. We only use organic meat. Um, we work in a commercial kitchen and hand make it every week. So it is beautiful food that um, most people, when they see it, want to eat it themselves. And they're going to say, that's outrageously expensive. But it's not. I was shocked. Thank you. Well, that's good. Yeah, and we wanted to sort of provide a price point that's reasonable enough for most people. Um, we do realize that the concept of uh, feeding your dog real food might be a little scary. So um, a, a, for cost-wise, uh, a pint of food, about two cups, is about five bucks, depending on the formula, and about ten bucks for over a pound of food. So well, uh, we'll talk to Dr. Corn. You with us? Yes, I am. Hello. Welcome. Hi there. So tell us a little bit about you, and then I want you to answer a question for me about this dog food thing. I don't know if I know anything about dog food. Um, oh, you know more than you think, but tell me a little bit about you. Uh, I'm a professor of psychology, at the uh, professor emeritus at the uh, University of British Columbia, and um, I'm a uh, neuropsychologist and also I've been very interested in the uh, human-animal bond, and uh, uh, I'm a little bit of a different uh, as far as psychologists are concerned. Most psychologists Why? Are, are most psychologists are trained either um, to be animal psychologists or human psychologists, and uh, I'm dual trained. And the reason for that is that, uh, obviously, if I'm interested in the human-animal bond, there's a different critter on the, each end of the leash. Um, Tell me more about that. About a different critter on each end of the leash? And, yeah, and who are they? <laughs> well, one of them is a dog and one of them is a human. Ah, so they're both animals. Uh, well, there tends to be a separation in psychology. They tend to... Animal psychologists tend to be animal psychologists, and human psychologists tend to be human psychologists. And, and you're the hybrid? I'm the hybrid, yeah, in this particular case. And um, um, over the past, um, uh, whatever it is, uh, 20, 30 years, I have written a dozen books about uh, dogs and uh, dog behavior and our relationship to them and that sort of thing. So, so then... And that's, I read some of your work, and it's very, it's really informative, and the books are great. Can you help our listeners understand why somebody would want to go to the limits of buying dog food, for instance, like these women make? What does that mean about their relationship with their dog or the way they see animals in their life and that kind of thing? Is that a good thing? Is it not a good thing? Some people would well, be like, all right, you know, that's crazy. There's something which you have to understand, okay? Um... The average dog has a mind about which is roughly equivalent to a human two-year-old. And the super dogs have a mind which is, those are the ones in the top 20% of canine intelligence, have a mind which is equivalent to about a two-and-a-half to three-year-old. So, um, you know, th that makes them pretty smart in terms of animal um, intelligence. Okay. But um, uh, nonetheless, in terms of human intelligence, uh, it's it's on the low end, and we tend to recognize that, okay? And we recognize that dogs are functioning at that, let's say, two- to three-year-old level, um, and we relate to them in that way. Uh, it shows up in the way that we talk to them, for example. So we talk to 
you know, humans talk to their kids using something which psychologists call motherese. So, you know, you use these right. sort of, uh, you know, sing-song kind of, of words and, and, and a very high-pitched voice. Well, we use the same thing when we're talking to dogs, you know. Right. We say, do you want to go out? Yeah, I know you want to go out, you know. And, hey, do that uh, again. That was fun. <laughs> Here, you want a cookie? Oh, there you <laughs> right, go. Anyway, um, uh, so... Uh, we recognize that, that, that they are effectively, you know, like young children. Yeah. And uh, human beings have this, this desire to sort of nurture and, and care for young things. And so, uh, you know, if we were dealing with a young child, you know, we tend to be very careful about what they eat and, and uh, very concerned about their health and that sort of thing. And that carries over to dogs. Uh, so if the dog is a, is a member of our family and, in fact, uh, it turns out that over 90% of people who own dogs, um, pet dogs, refer to them as a member of their family. Yeah. And, then in, and in fact, they are, you know, we recognize that they are functionally in the two to three year old range. Uh, then we tend to sort of lavish upon them uh, additional care and that sort of thing, uh, the same way that we do with, with, with a young human child. Okay. And, and that's. I understand that, and I agree. So then tell me, what do you think it is about people that have resistance then to people, others who are treating their dogs in, like a family member or whatever? They look at people and say, like, can you believe that she's carrying that dog in that bag on that plane, and there's water here, and there's all these extremes that people go to sometimes? Is that person who's kind of reacting to that resistant to being nice to two-year-old human beings then, or is there something else you think going on? Well, it... it, it, it it is not always the case that people respond in that way. I mean, for no, example, no. in France, if a member of the family dies, uh, according to most of the union contracts there, um, there is a, uh, you, you get uh, three days off uh, to grieve for wow. them. If a pet dies, however, in France, you are allowed to take a full day off um, uh, to grieve for the pet. It's so, very I mean, respectful. In some, in, in some venues... Uh, people do recognize uh, the particular bond which uh, which people have with dogs. Um, I think that a lot of the people who poo-poo the um, um, the nature of the bond are people who have never had a relationship with a pet, and uh, so they're just sort of looking at it as you know another thing in the house, and this thing happens to be you know uh, right. alive and with fur. Right, and you have to clean up after it. Yep. All right, so Lindsay, Meg, I mean, do you guys see people in their reactions, any extreme things that even shock you? Um, sure. I mean, sometimes we get people who send us unbelievable, beautiful photographs of their animals, um, like professional shots done like you would a person who's getting a headshot for an acting job. And, you know, they, they want their dog to be our spokesperson. And, um, wow. you know, we're always blown away and we feel uh, grateful that people have an interest in their dog being our spokesperson like that but sure sometimes it's raises your eyebrows yeah, a little bit a little bit but for the most part we run into people just like us who have an incredible bond with their pets because oftentimes a lot of them don't have children and um, don't intend to have children and the bond that uh, they have with their animals sort of fulfills that for them and 
And, um, and buying pure dog food, yes, which and, is your company, right. is going to be giving them the best baby food they ever had. Absolutely. And um, our company and our food is definitely a passion project for both of us. Um, we started Why? it based um, on the fact that we couldn't find this on the market. And, and, our, and this is something that is really done well for something or someone that you love. Exactly, exactly. I had started cooking for my dogs years ago because one of them has um, several different types of allergies and uh, no matter what food I put her on, she did really poorly and so I just took it into my own hands and, you know, within a couple of weeks saw the changes. So I, I really started to get into nutrition for dogs and um, finding out that real, unpreserved, fully cooked dog food is is sort of the best thing you can do and then you had pure dog food yes and Lindsay also same thing for her so she came yeah. along and yeah. needed the same thing so and dr. Corn is that typical well um, it's not typical that people start a dog food company no <laughs> or one called pure dog food um, but um, uh, as I said people tend to uh, treat dogs as though they're part of the family uh, you know, it, it's um, it's a it's a trick that we use uh, sometimes uh, when we're dealing with um, uh, various patients with various psychological problems. Uh, for example, amongst elderly individuals, sometimes they just don't um, eat well and that sort of thing. Right. And um, uh, one of the ways which we can get them to eat is we uh, tell them that the uh, that they have to cook food for their dog. Um, oh, that's neat. And we specify really it neat. very carefully that it has to be one-third protein and one-third uh, vegetables and one-third carbohydrate. And um, um, and the dog should be fed twice a day. Um, and, of course, the people cook for the dog. And while they're cooking, you know, there's food sitting over there in front of them, so they eat it as well um, because it's, it's basic people very food. nice so, so sometimes you know we can use this this idea that we're we're trying to be very special uh, to our dogs uh, and we can use it sort of therapeutically very nice tell us is there any psychological benefit by touching or being near animals dogs specifically that reduce stress I mean oh they yeah. there's, there, there's there's lots of data uh, back in the uh, mid-1980s, I suppose it was, uh, Alan Beck, a psychologist, uh, and uh, Aaron Katcher, a psychiatrist, uh, did a series of studies in which they took physiological measures while people were uh, petting a familiar and friendly dog. And they found that the uh, heart rate uh, slowed, the uh, blood pressure came down, the, the breathing became more regular, the muscles relaxed, and later studies have shown that, that in fact, uh, uh, some of the corticosteroids, which are the uh, stress hormones, are, are reduced. And uh, that's just from sort of petting a, a familiar and friendly dog. And, uh, of course, all these things are signs of stress reduction. Right. And that's yeah. all demonstrated, documented stuff. Pardon? That's all documented, and we can oh, yeah, prove that's that. All that's all documented. And, in fact, actually, you know, if you, you can take it to the next step, um, since we know how... Uh, stress is involved in cardiovascular problems in human beings. Um, you know, a wonderful uh, gal by the name of Erica Friedman uh, at the University of Pennsylvania ran uh, what might be considered an obvious study in hindsight, but wasn't at the time, 
uh, she looked at, at men who had had uh, their first heart attack. Uh, they were uh, 55 years and older, and they just had their first heart attack. And she um, uh, looked at the survival rate over a four-year period, and those who had uh, pets, uh, specifically dogs, uh, had a uh, more than uh, three times higher uh, survival rate. That's great. And um, she attributes that to the to the reduction in stress. And it's not just that the dog, you know, I mean, you can think of obvious things like, well, you know, if you have a dog, you have to walk it and, right. and so you're getting more exercise and that kind of thing. No. But for some people in this study, you know, the, the, the dogs involved were quite small dogs and people very seldom walk them. I mean, they sort of let them out in the backyard. Yeah, they walk themselves, just walk down the hall. Exactly, yeah. That's like Lindsay. You have a little tiny one. Yes, I do. Zoe? Zoe. She walks herself. Uh-huh. She does walk herself. She does sit by the front door, though, and wait to go up and down the hallway. So it is good. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the physical manifestations of exercise. It's the psychological stress reduction that, oh, that yeah. she saw. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there have now been numerous studies about this sort of thing. So, That's for great. example, uh, there's, there's a recent study uh, which um, uh, looked at uh, uh, individuals uh, who were uh, stockbrokers and under a lot of stress and that kind of thing, and presented them with a challenging problem, and then monitored their physiological signs. Um, uh, and um, you know, if there's a spouse or a very close friend in the room, you the the physiological signs of stress go down a little bit. But if you've got a dog in the room and you can reach down and touch it, it goes yeah. down an awful lot. That's so amazing. That's great to hear. We have a, a live caller. Let's take him, and then we'll come back to this. William, are you with us? Hi, I'm there. I'm here. Hey, how are you? Good, doing well, thanks. Thank you for calling in. What's your question? So, um, yeah, I had a question for you. I um, I live in New Jersey, and I have two kids, um, divorced, and I fought really hard for custody of the children. Good um, for you. They're quite young. One is uh, one years old, and one is three. Um, we have a neighbor who uh, who has a dog that uh, is ten years old, and it's 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 a little sickly, um, but it's a really sweet dog and the kids get along great with it. Um, he actually recently got engaged, and so his fiance is moving in with him, but the, um, his fiance is uh, allergic to dogs, so uh -huh. he has to find a new home for this dog. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm an animal lover and would love to bring this dog in. I'm just a little bit concerned about uh, the dog's health, and I, know, I just don't know how the kids would handle a loss if the dog were ultimately passed away in a couple months or a year or so. Great question. Dr. Dr. Korn, what do you think? Well, I mean... Uh, I mean, they already have a bond with this dog, right? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, they're, they're friendly with the dog. I mean, they've never spent a lot of time with it, but okay. they get along. Um, children tend to benefit quite a bit from having a dog around. Uh, there have been a, there's been a lot of research uh, about this. Um, their social maturity tends to rise. Um, uh, when you test them for empathy, that's their ability to uh, to recognize feelings in other individuals. Uh, kids who have, who have grown up or lived with a dog for a while um, mm -hmm. tend to show uh, considerably better scores in this kind of thing. Um, I understand the the issue of um, you know uh, if the dog is sickly and and the dog might die uh, that that's going to cause some grief. Um, uh, but you have to remember that for kids, time moves a lot slower. So 
Hmm. You know, if the dog uh, lasts for a year, I mean, it has the same sort of psychological impact on a child as if for us uh, the dog had, had lasted for two or three years. Um, okay. So, you know, my own feeling is that the, the benefits outweigh yeah. the downside. I agree. And I, how about, Lindsay, why don't we and Meg do something? If you take that dog in, we'll send food from here, and you can have pure dog food for that dog. <laughs> Absolutely. That would be great. All right. We'd love to help out, sure. All right, so let us know if you, you adopt, then we'll send the food. Okay, I really appreciate your help. You're Thanks welcome. Thanks so much. Good, good call. Thank you very much. Okay, so that was really interesting. I'm sure it's a very big conflict because many people don't want to lose an animal, which is, feels like a family member. It sounds like he's more bonded than the kids might be. But it's nice that he wants to bring that in. Don't you think? Yeah, it's a big decision bringing a pet into a family. So for him to be so conscious and aware of the possibilities, that's just, you know, a sign nice. of good parenting. Absolutely. I say responsible parenting. Yes. So tell me something, all, of, all three of you. I mean, I, I've always heard that kids that grow up with dogs are less prone to allergies. But I always thought it would be the opposite, that they're around things that make them allergic. Do you... You know, from a making food kind of perspective and allergies and from a psychological standpoint, Dr. Corn, I mean, any feedback on that? Any studies that show anything like that? Oh, yeah. Actually, there have been a, there have been a number of studies and, and uh, several of them quite large and, and extremely well controlled. Uh, <clears throat> it turns out that if, if children are brought up with uh, dogs, um, uh, their overall uh, allergic responses, and this is across the board, it's not just to dogs, uh, tend to be uh, considerably less. <clears throat> the the Why, idea, though? at least, um, uh, that uh, uh, the researchers uh, are pushing at this point in time, is that this early exposure uh, to um, to things like uh, all the allergens associated with with uh, dog dander and whatever dust and stuff which they they bring into the house um, uh, actually uh, causes the immune system to rally quite early ah. and so the immune system if you will gets used to coping with it and therefore later on um, you fight. don't have uh, any uh, sort of allergic responses um, the count the uh, the sort of flip side of this is that if you're brought up in a bubble, so you've never been exposed to dogs and, and that sort of thing until right. uh, you're uh, considerably older, so, you know, let's say an adolescent or that sort of thing, uh, and then all of a sudden uh, you've got these, these um, uh, inhaled allergens, um, then um, this can overwhelm an immune system who hasn't been, if you will, pre-stressed. So it's not a bad thing, and kids do have less allergies when they grow up with that's animals right. and, that's you, right. and you guys and, and you know it, it's also the case that uh, you know we're talking here about individuals who uh, who don't already have uh, you know manifested some form of major uh, right. allergic response so uh, we're talking about the usual case yeah, yeah and then you guys from a making food perspective how do you incorporate allergy stuff into food and looking at all that Sure. So we we um, know about allergies in dogs. Right. So from a food standpoint, oftentimes what um, is in commercial dry baked or fried food are preservatives and dyes. So oftentimes an animal will not be able to process either, and sometimes you don't know which it is. Um, so for us, from our standpoint, um, we we make sure that none of that 
is in our food um, to eliminate that that cause or possibility. And then some dogs just um, just like humans genetically are predisposed to be allergic to certain proteins, etc. So. If one dog's allergic to beef, then we have the chicken or the turkey or vice versa. So, And that's the beauty of pure dog food because you can make it to what the needs of that dog are. Yes, and we also um, consult with a veterinary nutritionist. And if someone um, has a sick animal, we um, refer them to her who works with their vet. And then she works on a prescription diet uh, specifically for that dog. That's cool. And then you yeah. make it. And then, yes, for a few, we make it for, for... That's very nice. Yeah. All right, we got a voicemail. Let's take it. Hi, Dr. Sophie. My name is Michael. Uh, and I'm calling because I have a question about the intensity of my mom's relationship with our dog. Um, we have this really cute little terrier named Kiwi. And everyone in the family is really close with the dog. But uh, I recently moved out of home, and my sister's off to school. And my mom is extremely attached to this dog. And I think it's good for her because I think she's feeling a little lonely now that no one's around the house. But she lavishes, you know, so much love and praise and affection on this dog that I'm just a little concerned that maybe her emotional attachment is almost getting too strong. Uh, I don't know if she's separating the line between human and pet anymore, and... Even though I think it's good, I'm just a little concerned about the intensity of our relationship, and I was wondering if it's possibly dangerous that she's become too emotionally attached to this dog. So I'm really curious to hear what you think. Uh, thank you. That's interesting. It's almost like I guess other family members could get jealous, or where's the husband, all that kind of stuff. What do you think, Dr. Korn? Well, I mean, if she's living alone, right, except for the dog, um, that dog uh, becomes very significant. I mean, you know, nobody ever says, you know, are we lavishing too much attention on our kids or that kind of thing. Um, and effectively, uh, if she's alone, then this is her family. I right. Mean, this is her day-to-day -day family. And that's okay, right? Uh, that is fine. And and in fact, you know, there's a lot of research which shows that um, that for seniors. Uh, who otherwise would be socially isolated, having a dog in their life really does good things. First of all, uh, you know, it, it, just flipping it over to the medical side, uh, these seniors tend to uh, require uh, fewer me medical services. They, they go to the doctor yeah. less often. Yeah, I've read that you, you've said that before. And, and, and is that um, also it's the case that uh, they are only one quarter as likely uh, to become uh, <coughs> significantly uh, depressed. And depression is a huge problem in in seniors. Uh, clinical depression uh, affects about um, eighty percent of seniors because you know friends are growing old and dying, and family is moving away, and they're feeling isolated, and they no longer have the day-to-day -day activities that they did. Um, so you know that's a significant benefit from from uh, having the dog. And and one additional thing, and that is when you take the dog out, the dog really is sort of a, a key to opening up social relationships. You yeah, know. you mean when you're walking the dog outside That's the house. Right. Yeah. You walk in the dog and that sort of thing, and people will stop uh, because if it's a cute dog, and they will, you know, pet the dog, and then they'll talk to you. Is that the same thing? Like, I have buddies that say it's a chick magnet. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, women, uh, well, actually women and men, uh, both tend to uh, consider somebody walking a dog to be uh, safer and um, 
and there have been studies which actually say that 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 people with a dog uh, are perceived by others as being much more friendly. Yeah, I so, could I could see that. So I don't think that you know that it's um, a bad thing. That it's a bad thing, and my guess is that the degree uh, to which you know, uh, you know, he says that she's buying gifts and that sort of thing. I mean, right. you know. <laughs> There's not a lot of gifts that you buy for right. So is he gifts. jealous? You think? Well, I, I, no. I mean, it's just you know, there, there's a concern. You know, here's here's your your parent over there, and your parent is suddenly, you know, uh, looking at a, uh, a little furry thing and and doing the same things to that furry thing which which she used to do to you. Right. <laughs> right, and that stirs up some feelings. <laughs> right. All right. Okay, so we we just got an email. Jenny from L.A., she's asking, I sometimes get really sad thinking about my dog who is lonely, especially when I leave the house. Would my dog be happier if she had another dog to play with? What do you, what do you think? Well, uh, dogs survive quite well by themselves. I mean, my own uh, feeling is, and this is simply because of my lifestyle, is I prefer to have... Uh, uh, two or three dogs at a time. Uh, I think that they do amuse one another. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of the dogs, especially the companion dogs, uh, have been uh, designed basically to uh, be able to weather being by themselves uh, for eight, ten hours a day. So, I, you know, I don't think it's bad. If you think your dog is getting bored or that sort of thing, there's some really very easy tricks which you can use. Um, you know, the simplest one which I find is you go down to a butcher store um, and you know you get him to uh, cut up some of those beef shank bones you know yeah. the marrow bones which you yeah which you uh, use for soup and that kind of thing and um, cut it up in two to three inch uh, uh, chunks uh, depending upon the size of your dog and you put them in a bag and throw them in the freezer and uh, you don't cook them or anything like that. And when you leave the house uh, to go to work or whatever else it is you're doing, you pull one of these out of the uh, freezer and you toss it to the dog. You don't even have to defrost it. It's sort of a bonesicle, if you will. Um, and uh, the dog will merrily chew away on that thing for about um, you know, four or five hours. And when you come home, you simply take the bone away. Uh, and depending upon the size of your dog, uh, the bone will last, you know, two, maybe three days before it, it appears to be too grotty to put that back down. Okay. So the dog's only getting it when you're going away. And it has some good uh, benefits. It, first of all, it keeps the dog occupied, and they just keep chewing away at it. And um, it keeps their teeth clean. And... Uh, the only um, thing to note about it is that uh, now their uh, poop will look a little bit chalky. But okay. It doesn't seem I mean, to... Megan and Lindsay, I'm sure you hear some stories about what people need to do to. I've actually get the dog used that uh, very trick um, because I have two little ones that um, sometimes suffer from separation anxiety, especially yeah. if there's a move or something, and it totally works. I just suggest um, putting covering your sofa or covering yeah, wherever say, it is because yes, it is. It's raw bone marrow, and it so can be messy. It can be messy, but um, they love it. That's yeah. great. And the level of calcium in the bone that they're chewing on, like like you said, will turn their um, they're poop a little white, so don't freak out. But if it's that all healthy happens. stuff. It's healthy stuff. Yeah. Good. Okay. So, um, 
there are things to do and she should tolerate the anxiety. Maybe it's her own anxiety or loneliness she feels. Is that possible? Well, and it also depends on the breed, too. If she has a breed, some breeds are, like, like you said, you know, the um, there are breeds that do much better um, with a, with a, another dog. Um, so she should um, maybe consider that if the dog's really having a hard time. So. But there are breeds that tolerate being alone and some breeds that actually do need to be around another dog. I would agree with that. Okay. So... Um, and, and from you guys, I mean, also from a psychological standpoint, is does that help having a pet in the house and children growing up with that pet? Does it have any influence on the maturity of that child, or or any influence on that child? I mean, have you guys seen any of that, Dr. Corn? Any studies that support that at all? I mean, oh, yeah, there's lots of studies about that. Um, I mentioned before that the uh, children who grow up with a dog tend to have uh, better empathy. Uh, but there's, uh, uh, they also tend to develop better communication skills. Uh, it, it's almost as though they, they have to sort of think about communicating because they want to communicate with the dog. And then they carry that over when they uh, go to school. Uh, there have been several studies uh, which have uh, looked at um, sort of leadership qualities in kids. They, these are the these are the kids that the other kids want to be sort of the captain of their team or whatever else. And it turns out that uh, although it's only one out of every four families that has uh, a, a pet dog, it turns out that among these, these kids who are chosen to be leaders by the other kids, um, it is about one out of every two. So um, they're twice as likely to be chosen as That's leaders. That's interesting. Meg, what, what do you think? Oh, I can only speak from personal experience. So I grew up with lots of dogs, and you're a you know, leader. <laughs> well, there, well, it required a lot of work and responsibility, and I think that's part of it too. Is yeah. that my parents definitely left it up to us to um, take care of them properly, and um, you know, from the from the beginning, it was up to us. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah, too. I mean, Dr. Corden, I mean, is it good then if you do have a pet in your home to empower your children with the caretaking of that that dog or share it or you know? Oh, I I always uh, you know use the kids and the grandkids to uh, to assist. I mean, so it's it's a good thing. Uh, they they learn that um, they can control uh, bits and pieces of their world, including their living world, and you know when you're two or three years of age, I mean, you're not in control of very much. No. And not if you your diaper. Make the dog come or sit, I mean, that's, that, I mean, that feels like this major social breakthrough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have another email I want to read and then another question I have. This is Char uh, Faye from Charlotte. Her email says, My husband and I finally gave in to our begging kids and got a family dog. How much responsibility should we comfortably give our children who are 6 and 11? Similar question. I mean, what's appropriate for them to do at age six and age eleven, Dr. Corn? What do you think? Well, I think that they should engage in some of the caretaking responsibility. Um, but where do you draw that line? Well, I mean, you know, an eleven-year-old can walk a dog um, quite safely around the block. Okay. Um, and a six or seven-year-old can certainly put the, tell the dog to sit and put a bowl of food down. And you can also uh, teach the kids to, uh, you know, do basic grooming. I mean, you're not going to have them clip their nails, but no. you can certainly have them brush, uh, the, brush the dog. And um, when you 
yeah, and, and of course everybody should do this, when you take your dog to a basic dog obedience class, uh, you should have the kids come uh, with you to, to watch the dog being trained. Okay. And um, that then gives them another set of tools that they can use to sort of control the dog's behavior. Great. Okay. We have one, one more voice I want to take. Hi, Dr. Sophie. My name is Marissa. I'm calling from Mar Vista. And I was wondering, um, you know, if I, I understand that dogs are really great in helping children mature quickly. And I'm also wondering in terms of safety of not only children but individuals, if dogs really have the capability to judge people on, based on their character. In my experience, you know, dogs that may not bark a lot would bark at an intruder or um, a stranger. And I'm wondering, is that instinct on the dog's part, or is that actually because they are judging the particular character? Hmm. So I wonder if you could shed light on that for me. Okay, thanks so much, Dr. Sophie. I'll be listening. That's really interesting. I mean, what do you think? I mean, is it really an innate characteristic of an animal to just bark at an intruder or something that is, or someone that's new and different to them, or is it a well, uh, uh, dogs are uh, evolutionarily uh, a social pack animal, and um, and they do cooperatively hunt and that sort of thing. And a lot of that heritage uh, has been carried over into our domestic dogs. Right. So they do have a sense of territory, and if somebody uh, unfamiliar comes to the door or that sort of thing, they're going to bark. And... Um, that's actually highly prote uh, protective. Uh, there's uh, been a series of studies. There was one actually which uh, um, came out of, um, I forget the name of the organization, but it's an organization of state police um, in the states. Um, and uh, they looked at some statistics. And, and if you have a dog in the house that barks, uh, and it's important, it has to be a dog in, in the house and barks, um, then uh, the likelihood that your home is going to be broken into is only one seventh uh, from uh, compared to those who don't have that. Very good. Um, now, dogs don't. It's it, it, it's not the case that dogs somehow or another sniff out or sense the uh, that that a person is is bad or has a hostile intent, but they do read body language. So how how do they um, read it? Uh, dogs are sort of the, the masters of reading body language, and, and they pick up when a, a person uh, is moving aggressively or threateningly uh, toward them. Um, uh, they read the eye signals and, and the movement patterns and that sort of thing, and that's usually what will trigger a um, response, uh, a barking episode in a dog. Very cool. And oftentimes if someone yeah. is insecure or um, and the dog is also insecure, then the dog's going to react to that same energy. Um, so if That's you have a dog that isn't, you know, um, very socialized or having its own behavioral issues, oftentimes they react to people who, you know, are suffering similar things sometimes. So too. they pick it up. It's like projection, yeah, like sure. doggy projection. Okay, so my next question then for all three of you is, do you think having a dog, positive or negative, influences a divorce rate? <laughs> There's actually research on that. Oh, you did? Okay. Well, let's let the doggy food people talk. What do you think? And then we'll compare. Um, <clears throat> that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, I think it just... It's a reflection of the relationship that already exists, perhaps. Yeah. You know, so if, if the relationship's working 
and um, the management between the two people emotionally, et cetera, and of the all the other things that happen in a relationship are balanced. I think uh, that the pet usually enhances or can become right. another stressor right. maybe in the relationship. So if the relationship's good, the dog is good, it's a good part of it. Otherwise right. it turns. Right. And it can be a great test of a relationship, I guess, probably too. I don't know. Yeah, that was my next question. Should then anybody I see that's going through some marital problems looking heading toward a divorce, I just tell them to get a dog and see what happens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a great litmus test. Sure. sure. What do you think, Dr. Korn? No, it's not good to I know. have a, 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 a pet. Uh, that's like having a baby when you're exactly. heading for a divorce. It's, it's, it's the same sort of thing where people think that maybe if they have a child, it'll heal the marriage. It doesn't. Right. It just brings it to an end. Exactly. Uh, but there is some, some good research, actually. This, published, this was, uh, research was published in oh, about four or five years ago in the Law Review, and they looked at, uh, at couples who owned a dog versus those who don't, and they found the divorce rate was considerably lower in those couples who owned a dog. And the researchers uh, concluded that the, the scenario sort of runs something like this. You know, you've had a really rotten day, and you need some, some, some TLC. And um, uh, you come home, and uh, your partner has had a really rough day, too. And so if you, decide to, you know, uh, try to get some affection from them, it's going to lead to some stress and... Uh, and uh, test the marriage if you will but if you come to the door and there's lassie and you know you you put you the dog and you right. get your little dose of affection um then in fact you feel better and uh you don't make any additional demands on your spouse Partner, that's so really true in any cumulative uh, very nice uh, effect okay and then one other last question before we get to just a few other little last questions is it appropriate for people who are, they're married and they're not sure or they're trying to see if they want to have children, should they get a dog as a practice? I mean, what do you think, Meg? Um, for me, I think first you have to have an interest and a love for a dog first. Um, if you don't, if you're not a dog person, don't get a dog. What does that mean, dog person? Um, I think people are, you know, generally it's either you're a cat lover or a dog lover or maybe something else. Like, my, for, for instance, my sister loves horses. Um, so, so that would be my first yeah. <laughs> inclination to consider whether or not you want a dog. And second, um, yeah, I mean... I it's don't know. Practice. It's I mean, it's definitely yeah. I I definitely think that you learn so much about your partner, um, and I also think that it's a great test whether or not that you're, you're you can sustain it. Can sustain it right, and totally. you see how their parenting skills are going to be right. I mean, Dr. Corn, what do you think? I don't think the dog should be a test for okay for anything. Dog. No, I, I I really don't. If you know, if you bring if you bring a dog into the house, right. uh, it should be because you want a dog. I mean, end of story. Um, or you know, if you bring a dog into the house because you have kids or are anticipating having kids and you think the the, the the kids would like to have the dog around, that's fine also. Um, but it, they're they're not a trial run. I mean, right. <laughs> if there were a trial run, and you know, the the, the first time the puppy. Uh, redecorated your new white carpet in earth tones. Right. And, you know, uh, do you then, you know, pitch the puppy? And uh, does that then mean that the first time your child soils, soils its diapers, you're going to pitch the child? I mean, 
I mean, somehow these things are, are really not synced to one another. Right. Okay. Lizzie. I think that there are a lot of places now you can go and foster a dog, which is a good option um, because you're helping out a homeless dog. Yeah. And um, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a, a trial period. You yeah. can either, you know, take not- the dog in and actively help research a place or ask your friends, try to find a home for the dog, or oftentimes people end up keeping the dog in their home because they do build a special bond and it does become beneficial. Right. So, But you're not starting off with the cumbersome, maybe anxiety feeling, oh my God, I have this whole burden Right. You're now. doing a good deed. Yeah. You're helping out a homeless animal and, you know, possibly bringing something good into your home. And if not, you know, you're helping the animal by finding them a loving home. Good. And, and Dr. Korn, you're saying that it should never be equivalent and equal to a trial of having a child. It's because the dog is a part of your family. You're bringing a dog into the home instead of a trial child. Well, yeah, and and if you're, I mean, if you're viewing the dog as some sort of trial, then when the trial is over and you have the child, you know, does that right. mean you no longer need the dog? Exactly. So they're good points. Again, question, what do we feed our dogs? I mean, is indicating buying pure dog food and going to that level mean that you love your dog more than somebody who doesn't do that? Not at all, not at all. I think every dog owner um, and what I've run into are people who who absolutely want to do the best for their animals and um, there's a lot of product on the market and we understand that because we were on the other end of it for a long time Um, and there are a lot of great choices out there so um, you know it's about doing what's best for your dog in your opinion and um, researching the options. For us, our philosophy on dog food is simple. Simple ingredients, not too many of them, fully cooked, and um, never preservatives. Um, it just alleviates a lot of stress on their uh, very short digestive systems and it helps with organ function, longevity of life, etc. So, you know, if you're not in LA and you can't get pure dog food, um, check around your local area and um, seek out, you know, this possibility. It will, it will change your dog's life, but like I said, you know, I think everyone's just doing the best they can and, and there's a lot of good product. They could always there. move to LA to get pure dog food. We would totally encourage that. Come on, everybody. Okay, and then exercise is just part of what they do every day. We walk our dog once a day. You know, is there something? Absolutely. I think I think it just depends. Take a look at what your your dog. If your dog's elderly, if your dog's a puppy, if your dog's um, you know an act more active breed. Um, you know, uh, definitely include an exercise routine that fits best for your animal. For me, I am a two walk a day. Um, type of a breed who has incredible levels of energy that I continually have to balance with food and exercise. Right. So, Just like a human. Just like a human. And Dr. Korn, is there any correlation between exercise and dog ownership and doggies and function? Well, I mean, the data says that people who own dogs tend to get out more and walk more. Um, but uh, uh, whether or not the... Um, uh, there are specific benefits uh, for the dog uh, depends upon uh, the specific dog and the specific breed. Okay. I mean, you know, if you're going to have something uh, which is which is quite active um, and doesn't get a chance to expend its activity from, you know, climbing the walls and racing around your uh, living room, then in fact you have to get it out to walk. Uh, otherwise, it's going to become neurotic. Okay. 
And one bigger question, and this will be our last question, and we'll let Meg and Lindsay go first, and then you guys, and Dr. Corn, you can answer from the psychological perspective. Similar to our children, many people ask, where should your dog be sleeping? Oh, um, you know, from uh, animal perspective, of course they want to sleep in the bed with you, but um, they shouldn't. Um, it's more beneficial for them not to because um, it helps with their... Well, first, you have to always consider yourself first, and I feel like as the pack leader, you know, you know, it's best to, to make sure that they know that you're still in charge and that you still need your own rest. Yeah. Your rest is most important. And for them as well, them having their own place um, wherever you make their bed is really important for them too because they, they make it their own and they make, make it feel safe for them too. So um, oftentimes when they're in the bed, they're fighting for your attention, they're fighting for your your body warmth or whatever it is so that separation never exists but um, I know it's difficult and I'm not saying that it's you know for me that's what works all right Lindsay what do you think um, I, you know I don't know I mine has her own routine She's, does she sleep with you she starts in the living room and then at 530 she comes and uh, wants to get in bed and then gets at the foot of the bed at 530 in the morning for an hour and then she wants breakfast so she's kind of on her own schedule and she has a bed in every room, and I'm, I'm, I'm a horrible example of where that dog, where the dog should sleep. All right, but you're doing your own thing. Right, Dr. whatever Corn makes her happy. Yeah, what do you think, Dr. Corn? Are there things that, you know, support or refute that, where a dog should sleep, and, you know? I, the word should is very difficult for me to deal with in this case. Because, um, why? It turns out that about 60% of uh, all dog owners, um, uh, the dog sleeps in the bedroom. And of the dogs who sleep in the bedroom, it turns out, I mean, this is one of these cases where you get symmetry that about 60% of those dogs uh, sleep on the bed. Uh, you know, it, if, if it is um, tolerable for you and, and, and if it's not too large a dog, it's going to take up the whole bed, it doesn't seem to be any harm. But it does, in fact, in 14% of couples, um, uh, the issue of whether the dog sleeps in the bed or not has been a major point of contention. Really? Why? Um, because one partner wants the dog up there and the other ah. one doesn't. So, for example, in, in, in my home, uh, you know, if one of my dogs gets onto the bed, uh, there are several rules. First of all, they have to stay below the hip and, and on my side of the bed. If they go on my wife's side of the bed, she has a patented puppy ejection kick, ah. and the dog flies in a one-meter-high parabolic arc into the wall. Um, Should we so report they, that? No. So they, so they, they learn very quickly <laughs> that, that, right. uh, who they can play around with and who's going to exactly. Uh, and uh, uh, but you know, it, having the dog in the bedroom it is seems to be quite comfor comforting to the dog, even if the dog is in a in a pen or a, a kennel. Um, uh, just uh, having you near and hearing you breathe and that sort of thing seems to be a comfort to, to the dogs. And I think very often it's a comfort to the people because, you know, they get up in the middle of the night and they, there is, they, could, they could hear the breathing of a little soul not too far away from them. Right. All right. I think that's very fair. So I want to thank all three of my guests. It's really been great information, great conversation, everybody's opinion. Dr. Stanley Korn, you are one of 2,000 outstanding psychiatrists in the 20th century. That's really pretty honorable. Thank you for all of your expertise. Your book, Do Dogs Dream, is it available to us yet? 
No, it's available at all the usual outlets. Very nice. Website, how do we find you? Um, you can find uh, uh, me at um, uh, com, and my blog is on uh, is Canine Corner, and it's on the Psychology Today site. Thank you very much for your time and expertise. All right. Take care. Have a good day. Meg and Lindsay's Pure Dog Food, Pure Dog Food, Pure Dog Food. Mm -hmm. Is it pure? It is. It's as pure as we can possibly make I it. I can tell you when it comes to our house, it does look like we should be eating it. <laughs> Good. Go and, ahead. And if we heat it up, you. If we heat it up, it smells like we should be eating it. <laughs> awesome. Maybe I'll feed it to my child. He'll never know. <laughs> so anyway, um, how do we find you guys? Check us out on our website, www.puredogfood.com. Um, we are currently online only right now, but we hope to be opening a store soon. Um, sign up for our newsletter. We'll be informing everyone when that is open and where it is. Um, but you can find great information about us, our products, and special deals. So, um, And we will be at the Laurel Canyon uh, Dog Park on October oh, nice. 6th. We'll be giving away free pint size um, of our two formulas that uh, we really love, our beef and our turkey. So um, come, come, on in, out. come on out and check us out. We'll be there from 9 a.m. till 1 p.m. And this information is on our website, too. Very nice. Thank you for all of your expertise, your insight, and thank you for caring for dogs and making pure dog food. Oh, thank you for having us, Dr. Sophie. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Sophie. You're welcome. All right, so that was a dog podcast that we did. It was very good. I, I learned a lot, more than I thought I was going to learn. I guess I must love my dog more than I thought, but I knew I did. Anyway, we learned a lot of good stuff today. Four really key points that I think are important for us to take away today. The first one is that dogs are about the age of a two to three-year-old, and that's the way that we interact with them, and that's probably the benefit that's helpful to us from a psychological standpoint because of the ability to nurture and care for a animal that is acting like a two or three year old who is actually now a family member so it does meet some really great psychological needs in us and it's because we're able to nurture and care for a two to three year old that's why many times I guess we hear ourselves and others talking to their dogs like their little babies the second thing that I think is really very impactful to understand and we can learn a lot more of this from going on any of the websites of our, our experts today is the studies that have been documented to show the decrease in stress by having a dog in the home from the petting of the animal to the caring of the animal and I think it's important for us to really look at that stuff so that we really know that the benefits are there they've been studied and they are proven so it is a good thing the third thing that I think is very important because we always grow up oftentimes with the understanding or the myth that children have more allergies if they're around animals or dogs especially at an early age but there are now studies that show that kids grow up with animals kids that do grow up with animals who actually have a lower incidence of allergies and that is because their immune system has had to kick into high gear probably at an early age and as they grow then they have the ammunition to fight regular allergies so that myth is blown and I'm glad about that and then the fourth thing that I think is very important to understand is that there's huge studies also that show a decrease in the mental health issues of all of us as human beings if we have dogs with us especially in the elderly as empty nesters come about or a spouse dies and children have moved or whatever there are good studies that show that people who end up with themselves and their dog do a whole lot better than people who end up alone 
There's also better co-parenting and skills that go on between couples and divorce rates are significantly affected when you have an animal that you're both sharing and you're learning how to do all of those kinds of things. And then the benefits for children are huge because a child who's empowered with some caring of that animal but also watching how that animal is cared for has been very impactful for them to take those skills out into the world and learn how to be more empathetic and more sympathetic and more caregiving and nurturing. So there are huge benefits from all of this stuff and having a dog in your home. So come on, you guys, go out to Pet Doggy Adoption Day on Sunday and grab a doggy and then feed them pure dog food. All right, you guys, all of these uh, podcasts, all this information is on my website at www.drsophie.com or my free phone app on iTunes. Help yourself. Check it out. Always available to you. Call my voicemail 24-7-1855-767-4966 or 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW. The title of my book is Side by Side, the Revolutionary Mother-Daughter Program for Conflict-Free Communication. Grab a copy of it. It's really helpful. And listen and follow me or do whatever you're going to do with Twitter and Facebook. You can always find out where I'm going to be or what I'm doing. Also, download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. Love that song. And besides everything, the most important thing to do is not forget to sweep. But you got to keep your head up. Oh, and you can let your head down. Hey, you got to keep your head up. Oh, and you can let your head down.